Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. It is great to be here and as I said at the beginning, it's great having you guys back. Welcome back to those who've been on holiday. Um, I see a, a few who were away. I hope you had a good rest and are excited for everything that the semester has ahead of us. For those who are visiting, I'm going to do a, a bit of a different, I guess, message to the way that we normally do our messages here. Um, normally, we try and spend a lot of time in Scripture because Scripture is obviously where it's at. That's inspired all scripture is given by inspiration of God. We believe that. We follow that. I'm not not going to read scripture, um, but I'm just going to get to some scripture towards the end. I want us just for the start, we're going to do a bit of a, a recap of sorts over the, the last couple of, of weeks or so as, as the year, as the Lord has been speaking to us. I think one of the biggest dangers that we have in, I guess, any relationship, and the same with our relationship with Jesus, is that we have a conversation with Jesus today, which is obviously important, and it's great, and we should, but we forget about the conversation we had last week. A little bit later on, guys, when you get married, she doesn't forget. You do, she doesn't, okay? Was Edna saying facts, huh? That's how it is. Guys, like, what are you talking about? You said, do you remember like three and a half months ago, we were sitting there, we said that. I was like, no, I don't remember. But I believe you if you say that because you don't forget anything. But sometimes in our walk with Christ, our danger is that the Lord begins to speak to us. And then we hop onto Instagram and there's a cool little Instagram real of somebody sharing something that God did in their life or some message from Scripture, and we forget about what God said last week, and we focus on that a little bit. And then three seconds later, we're on the next Instagram reel, and the next Instagram reel, and maybe a little YouTube video, and apparently TikTok is where it's at nowadays, and then some TikTok, and then two days later, we've forgotten what God said yesterday. And it's important for us to, to slow down and and really to meditate on the Word, to allow the Word to change us and to transform us. And obviously in our small groups as a, as a whole, we try and create a bit of space for us to slow down around the Word, to, in a sense, digest the Word. If we want to use this image of the Word being bread, it needs to be digested. If we're just throwing bread in all the time and not allowing our bodies to digest it, it's probably not going to be well with our bodies. So slow down and, and digest a little bit. So this evening, I'm, I'm wanting us just to do a bit of a recap. I realize some of us haven't been here for all of the messages and for the last couple of months, and that shouldn't be a problem. I hope that we can, in a sense, bring you up to speed. And for those who have been here, that it'll just help us understand a little bit about what God is saying to you and to us as a congregation. And so we started sort of at the start of the year, the word that the Lord kept giving us was that He is inviting us to step in, to step into His love as well as into His purpose. And we spent some time talking about the fact that it's so important for us to step into purpose from love and from acceptance. 
If we step into purpose and we're not stepping from acceptance, then we step in as slaves. If we first come to acceptance and, and understanding of the love of God and from that step into purpose, then we step in as sons. And God doesn't want us to step into the purpose that He's called us to as slaves. He wants us as sons, daughters, children. He wants us to do it in relationship. It's a little bit like if my dad had a, a family business and maybe I grow up in the family. He can employ somebody else to come and work. He can bring somebody else in off the street or CVs or, you know, send out a, a, a vacancy advert and find someone. And that person's going to come in and he's going to be there working for the money. He's going to be there working for the job. But if it's my dad's company, and one day my dad sits me down and says, Philip, my dad never did this. He was a, a lawyer. I don't think lawyer companies get handed down like that. It's not really a, a family business, is it, the vet? I don't know. Maybe I missed something about the way that lawyers work. And, but maybe if, if he did have this thing and he sat me down and he said, Philip, you're my boy. One day I'd, I'd like you to take this over. I'd like you to step into this. So I want you to begin to work in this company. I'm stepping indifferent to the guy who's stepping in off the street. I'm stepping in because I'm a son. I'm not a slave. I'm not doing it because my dad's holding a big paycheck in front of me. I'm doing it because there's an inheritance here for me. And so God wants us as sons, as daughters, as children to step into an inheritance in him. And part of the inheritance is the purpose that he has for us. And so the first part of the year, we just spend a lot of time just dwelling on God's love for us. How even this evening, and we'll continue to do it because that, that truth never changes. His love for us, which is so amazing. He wants to invite us into that love. But at the same time, He holds before us a purpose that He wants us to step into. It's important that we realize it's possible for you and me, for a believer, to know Jesus, to meet Jesus, to really love Jesus, but still to go through our lives and come to the end of our lives and having missed the purpose of God for our lives. That's possible. Just because we love Jesus does not mean that I'm going to walk in the purpose that He has for me. We have to commit to following and to obeying. We have to commit to embracing the sometimes inconvenience and uncomfortableness of following Jesus. He says, if anyone wants to truly follow me, then he must deny himself, take up his cross and, and follow me. We have to embrace that. And then he says these beautiful but hard words, if anyone desires to save his life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. And so for us to step into the purpose where I believe God is calling us as a church, we've had to wrestle through some of these thoughts and some of these truths in our lives. But it starts with the fact that we're loved by Jesus. And he's not going to love me more or less tomorrow whether I step into purpose today or not. His love for me, it's just like me and my daughters. I'm not going to love my daughter more if she wins Wimbledon or not. It would be great. They just start playing tennis at some stage, I guess, to get there. But it's probably not going to happen. But if it did, I'm not going to love them more. There might be things in them that I appreciate if they find ways of excelling or whatever, but my love for them isn't going to change based on their actions. 
Any parent who's ever had a child who's been really naughty or got themselves into a mess will tell you that. Still my kid. I still love them. Maybe right now I'm not proud of them, but I love them. And I still give my life for them. And so we, we start with the fact that God loves us. And from that, He's calling us into purpose. And as we started speaking about purpose, sort of this phrase that's stuck with us a little bit is this idea that God doesn't have a mission for His church. God has a church for His mission. See, the mission of God existed before the church of God. When Jesus was sent into the world, there was already a mission, but there was no church yet. And Jesus didn't bring his church or bring, say, oh, I've got a church. I need to find a mission for them. Jesus came to the earth and he was, I've got a mission. I need to raise a church for my mission. We spoke a little bit about the Missio Day, And we spoke about the fact that for us to embrace God's purpose, to step into God's purpose, we have to embrace that God is a sending God. That from the beginning, God has been sending. He sent the different judges. He sent the kings. He sent the prophets. Then he sent Jesus. Then Jesus sent the apostles. We speak about the apostles often if we were to study and, and read Scripture. And sometimes we miss the simple truth that apostle simply means a sent one. There are a whole bunch of different definitions that people in modern church want to put on what is apostolic, what is an apostle. They might be right. They might be right. But what is definitely true is an apostle is someone who's been sent. Apostle of Jesus is someone who's been sent by Jesus. Jesus has always been, the Father has always been one who sends, who initiates sending. If we look at sort of this beautiful Old Testament example of the gospel, of sort of the fullness of the gospel, we look at Isaiah chapter 6 and we see a young prophet Isaiah there. And he has this moment where he sees God in the year that King Uzziah died, he writes. I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. He has this moment where he looks up and he sees God. And his response is what your response and what my response is when we see Jesus in truth. Shucks. Oops. I am not God. God is holy and God is perfect. I am diametrically opposite of Him. Everything that He is holy and perfect in and about, I am not. He is pure. I am impure. He is righteous. I am unrighteous. Not just a little bit, exactly the opposite. We're on opposite poles of our nature, of creative, of, of who we are to who He is. And that's what Isaiah realizes in this moment. He says, woe is me. I'm in trouble. For I am a man with unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. I, I am just not pure in any way. And God is. And he's, he's vexed by this reality that He's different to who God is. That's where the embracing of the gospel starts. And then this beautiful moment, God looks down on him and he says, it's okay. And he, he sends an angel in that image to take away his sin. Obviously, Jesus has come to be that, to take away our sin. He says, don't worry, your sin is purged. You're not pure. And many of us, when we think of the gospel, we sort of stop there. We stop in our thinking of the gospel as our sin being washed away, as being cleansed. 
The story doesn't end there. That account doesn't end there. The next thing, God in His perfect community, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, He turns to Himself and He says, Who will go for us? Whom will we send? Isaiah puts up his hand and says, Here I am. Send me. And so an understanding of the gospel has to include the idea that we are sent, that God is sending and that we are sent by God and of God. God has always been ascending God. Spent quite a bit of time, sort of a whole message, talking about this idea of the mission of God, that He has chosen you and chosen me and He's empowered us by the Holy Spirit to go as sent ones for His name and for His purpose. We spoke about the fact that Scripture speaks about seeds that are sown. And all of us, as these seeds are sown, some of them sort of just fall by the wayside and they get eaten by um, birds or whatever it may be. And then some of the seeds, they find good soil. They begin to sprout roots and they begin to grow. But then Scripture sort of, as Jesus explains this parable to His disciples, He says, the cares and the worries of this world, they're overtaken by the cares and the worries of this world and they become unfruitful. We spent some time praying into that. We prayed for a lot of people, specifically that morning, who just realized that in their hearts, the cares and the worries of this world was smothering their fruitfulness for Jesus. The truth is, hopefully we all have fertile soil in our hearts. And from the moment that we drive out of this building this evening, there are going to be seeds of the world that are going to be planted in our hearts. You're going to drive out and turn left. Please don't turn right on the way out. It's not going to be good for anyone. It's a one way. So if you go out and you, you turn left, you immediately, whether you see it, you're probably going to see it consciously now because I say it, but whether you see it consciously or have seen it consciously in the past or not, immediately there are advertisements for new cars and showrooms. There's a little seed planted in your heart. And then you drive and then you maybe turn on the radio and an advert comes up about some, not bad thing, not an evil thing, but some material thing. You read a book or maybe this evening you watch a movie and there's a little advert, maybe not even an advert, some product placement inside. Some ideology that's involved in that movie. Seeds that get sown and all the time as we go through life, all of these little seeds get sown. Tomorrow at work, seeds are being sown. The bill arrives. Shucks, how am I going to pay for this? Oh, I need to remember to pay that person back. Seeds of materialism are getting planted all of the time in our lives. And some of those seeds are going to find sprout root and begin to grow. It doesn't make us bad. It doesn't make us evil. It just makes us people living in a world where there's a whole bunch of worldly seeds. Fortunately, we know a gardener, a constant gardener who can come and take out those seeds. And sometimes we need to, as we did that Sunday morning, we need to stop and slow down and ask him to come and take out some of these, not the little seeds, but some of these little plants that have begun to grow. Most of us have tried planting something in our lives somewhere, maybe a little garden. And the crazy thing is how hard it is to make the things we want to grow, grow. But how easy it is to make the things we don't want to grow, grow. 
It's so easy. For some reason, you can spend hours on your lawn. Guana boost, water. Have the lawn perfect. A couple of weeks later, you come back. Somehow, in the middle of the lawn, some weeds have sprung up. You're like, wait, how? Wait, how does this even work? I'm spending hours getting this lawn growing, and then this thing pops up. Who invited you? Our lives are the same. It's just seeds are being sown and streets of maybe you can just walk past a conversation and a seed gets sown. Something to do with the care of this world. We spend some time praying and speaking into that. The reason, as we saw, is because that inhibits Scripture says our fruitfulness. They become unfruitful. God wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to embrace purpose and step into the purpose that He is a sent one. And then we began to speak about the truth that as we're wrestling with God, as we start speaking to God, as we start opening up our heart, genuinely saying, God, use me. Who's ever prayed that in your lives? Anyone? Can I just put a little vaccination moment in there quickly? Can I? Is it okay? Small little mini offense now to save big offense later. If you ever have this moment in your life where you say, I feel so used, let the vaccination kick in and say, thank you, Jesus. We can't be people who are praying, God, use me, and then six months later we say, I feel so used. If we're praying, God, use me, we have to be willing to be used. doesn't mean that people should continue to be rude when we must stay in places where we're unvalued and unappreciated. That's not what I'm saying. But if we're saying, God, use me, and he uses us, say, thank you, God. I feel so used. Thank you. That's exactly what I wanted, God. God, I don't think this is healthy where I am. I don't think I should stay here, God. But thank you for using me in this situation. Thank you that I could be a carrier of light. Anyway, just a little vaccination moment there for some of us. As we were genuine about saying, God, use me. Here I am, send me a little Isaiah moment, sticking up our hand. God, pick me. God, I want to be the one who goes. And we start praying. We begin to realize a couple of things. And the first one thing we began to realize is when the Word of God comes to us in those environments, it often comes inconveniently. We looked at that example at, at Philip, who's one day sitting there, I don't know, watching Super Rugby or getting ready for his golf tea time, having a nice casual Saturday afternoon, lying in his hammock, wanting to go for a walk on the beach, whatever it is. And the Holy Spirit appears to him and says, get up and go to the desert. Go to a place where there is nothing. He probably wasn't too excited about that. But he went and so often, and we looked at a couple of passages like that where when the Spirit speaks to us, it's often inconvenient. It's not quite fitting into my schedule that I had planned out for today. It's not the way that I wanted this to happen. Not only is it inconvenient, it's often intimidating. God, this is too big. There's no ways I can do this. Well, that's kind of the point. You mustn't. God is going to. It's intimidating. Well, Jesus, you want me to speak to that guy? We looked at Ananias who gets sent to Paul. And it's, God says, I want you to go and speak to Paul. He's a chosen vessel of mine. And Ananias is like, but he's going to kill me. 
I know I've heard of this guy. No, trust me. It's intimidating. And so when God begins to speak to us, sometimes it's intimidating. It's almost always inconvenient, but it's always inspiring. There's always something in our spirits that come alive when we begin to embrace the Word of God in our lives. And then we took a week and we looked at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Once again, if we're asking God and we're beginning to hear God's voice and we're beginning to embrace God's purpose, that probably we're going to realize that what was in Jesus is in us too. What do I mean by that? I mean, Jesus prays a couple of really interesting prayers in his life. One of them, he teaches us to pray. He says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Doesn't he pray that? Teach us to pray that. A couple of chapters later, he's up in the garden of Gethsemane. And if you allow me just a little bit of poetic license around this, he prays a different prayer. He says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, my will be done on earth. He's praying, God, your will and my will aren't right now aligning. He's wrestling. He's going through this moment of torment. He's wrestling. He's like, God, if in any way can this cup pass from me? If this isn't there another way, isn't there something else we can do? God, right now you have this will for me, and I've got a different will for me. And then he comes to the place of surrender where he is nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. My will and your will isn't the same. And as we start walking with God, truly seeking purpose with God, we're going to come to these moments where we realize right now my will and God's will isn't the same. What God wants to do here and what I want to do here, they don't quite line up. It's not an excuse for us to be disobedient. It's not an excuse for us just to continue doing our own thing, but it's an invitation for us to wrestle with God. To take this to God and say, God, I know you're saying I need to make this decision. God, that's really hard. I don't have the strength to do that. I don't know how to do this, God. God, I know this is what you're saying, but I want to do this. And you're saying this, God, I've studied for this for 17 years. I've given my life towards this. And you're saying I must walk away from it. God, that's really hard. So I'm not saying it's okay to say I'm not going to walk away from it and just carry on on the own path. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is when I find myself in that place, take comfort that Jesus found himself in that place. And then we wrestle. We say, God, I know I need to do this. I know I need to walk away. I know I need to step, lay it, lay it down. I, I know I need to pick this up. I know I've been planning to go left, but right now you're saying I must go right. My whole life long, I just wanted to move from this place. I couldn't wait to grow up, get my degree so I can move. And God says, stay. I'm like, no, God. You said, go. Go into all the world. I'm going. God says, no, no. Stay. We start sort of negotiating with God. But this process of wrestling with God, and we spoke about that in quite a bit of length a couple of Sundays ago, that our will, I think even last Sunday, our will isn't the same as God's. So that's a, a bit of a recap, just helping us understand what is it that God is stirring within us? What is stirring within us is something so simple. He's calling us into His purpose. He's calling us to embrace 
His purpose, to let aside everything that is not His purpose. And right at the center of His purpose is people coming to know Him. People growing in Him. People experiencing Him. People knowing Him. So as we think forward towards the purpose of God, we have to wrestle with the fact that if souls coming to Christ, the purpose of the kingdom of God coming, His will being done, if at the center of that isn't, at the center of the purpose that we see God's calling us to, isn't people meeting Jesus? People being pointed to Jesus? People experiencing Jesus? probably are not quite aligned to the purpose of God yet. Because that's the purpose of Jesus. That's the mission of God. He didn't just send, the Father didn't send Jesus, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him can have a comfortable life. No, there's an eternal salvation moment which is central to everything about Him. I want us to take a moment, perhaps, as, as we sit here. Many of us have been following Jesus for a bit of time. I want you just to think back to what are some of the moments, and when I use the word moment in this context, I don't mean moment like as an instant. I mean moment as a period of time. A moment sometimes can be a couple of years long even. Sometimes a moment is like a second. Sometimes a moment is... Is an extended period. It's just a, a period of time. What are some of the moments in your life that have shaped you as a follower of Jesus? It can be like just one single worship night, one sermon, one YouTube video you watched, or something that someone prayed with you, a book you read. It could be extended time where you may be enrolled for Bible school, a Bible study, or something like that. Can we just turn maybe in groups of two or three and just for a moment, excuse the pun there, just share just what are some of the things that have shaped you in your walk with Christ thus far? And maybe just glance over your shoulder and see if there's someone sitting alone and invite them to share with you. Some fond memories as we think back to those moments. And I think for most of us here this evening, those moments probably weren't too long ago. This morning's crowd, they've got to sort of get into a time machine and fly back a couple of years, decades, to those moments that largely shaped and, and formed us, those memories we have. Memories are important and Memories are precious. We should hold on to these memories. I want to encourage you in looking around. I think most of you probably still qualify as young. And if you don't yet, have a journal. Find a, a notebook somewhere where you can write these memories down. There's going to, be a come, there's going to come a time in your walk with Christ that it's good, you're going to need to reflect back on it. Remind yourself of those moments that helped shape and form you. Celebrate them even. Thank God for them. God's going to call you back to those. And it's, it's good. Think of these moments and make sure you've written them down somewhere. And they, the highlights that you have and the lowlights that you have in your walk with Christ, that you journal around them and 
You invite God into those moments. Those are memories, and, and memories are precious. There's a flip side to memories. Those are, those are dreams. Interesting thing is that most of us, when we are, are young in the faith, when we've just begun to walk in relationship with Jesus, dreaming comes easy. The same way when we've just begun to walk in a relationship with a young lady for the guys or a guy for the ladies, the dreaming comes easy. The dreaming of a life together, the dreaming of what this could look like, the dreaming of the stuff we're going to do, the, the allowing ourselves just to go beyond where we should be right now. And most of us probably as we sit here, I hope that there are some dreams in our hearts that we talk about with our friends when we walk out of a worship environment on Saturday night after the worship night and we've sensed the Holy Spirit speak to us and we go have an ice cream or McDonald's shake or whatever it is and we, I'm sorry, I can't wait, we're going to do this and it's going to change the world. I felt the Lord speak to me and I can't wait to step out. I have this dream. I've got this project that I'm working on. I've got this plan in my heart in my mind that I have this company that I'm going to launch, this thing that I'm going to be involved in, it's going to change the world. Everybody's going to be, want to be a part of this thing, and not just for me, it, but the kingdom is going to be advanced because of this. We have those conversations, don't we? I want to encourage you, never lose that. As I was speaking to the older crowd this morning, one of the challenges is that as we grow in our maturity of Christ, our dreaming, becomes less and less. Sometimes it's not just our fruitfulness that gets swallowed up by the world, but our dreaming gets swallowed up. And dreaming is so precious, and dreaming comes so naturally to us when we're young. It's like with my kids. It's amazing. Just a quick pro tip here for the parents. One day, just remember this. You don't have to buy the most expensive toy in the toy store. Go to checkers, get the box they threw out, bring the cardboard box home, leave your kids with a cardboard box for 20 minutes. They'll play more with a cardboard box than the most expensive toy. <laughs> so this morning my kids were, actually this whole weekend, they've been playing a boat, some boat game. Apparently our entire living room is the wide open ocean and they found some old basket they turned upside down. And they put an old piece of hardboard on top of it, and this is their boat. And every Barbie and every My Little Pony now lives on this boat. And I don't know how many decks it has and what. what. It's just amazing how, how they dream, how they play, because they can dream. They can look at this upside down. I don't know who started with the idea that this is a boat. don't know where they found this basket. Put some wood on it. And for a weekend, they can just live themselves into this environment of what could be think that Jesus was alluding to something like that when he said that we should come to him like little children. Not all tied up with the perfectness of the world, but just willing to dream. Hold on to these dreams. I trust that for none of us here, this is a, 
applicable as yet, but there's a saying in sort of organizational literature and sort of leadership literature, if you think of organizations and the, the life cycles of organizations, etc., that when your memories exceed your dreams, the end is near. When your memories exceed your dreams, when you spend time, more time looking at what happened than what is ahead, we're near the end. And so as we walk with Christ, I want to encourage you Christ always wants us to be looking forward. Yes, we look back and the memories were great. I think it probably would be the same if my relationship with my wife became all about what was and very little about what is to come. If we stop dreaming together, if it becomes less about what is still going to happen and our whole, all of our conversations, do you remember when we did that and when that happened and when this happened and when the child was there and we went on this holiday? Do you remember? Do you remember? There's definitely a time to reminisce. But when the memories exceed the dreams, our end is near. And so as we're following Christ, we should always trust God to be dreamers. I was saying this morning that I honestly believe every Christian should be a dreamer. Not a dreamer floating up in the sky disconnected from reality, but a dreamer looking into situations, walking into environment, walking into a moment, and being willing to, what if Jesus could pitch here. What if? I, used, I went through this, this phase where I was very much a dreamer. I guess some of my friends would get frustrated with me a little bit because every building I saw was a church. Stop at the engine. Like, Guys, can you imagine this being a church? We could put the stage there, speaker there, band. We can minister to the people here. Every building. Every place you go, this could be a church. This should be a church. Walk into a spa. This whole shopping center would be like an amazing church. Walk into someone's home, like, probably have church in here. But what if we just allow the Holy Spirit just to breathe into every moment, just be able to dream? Had a conversation, I told some of you about it recently couple of us here were at a, a big orphanage near Durban recently and the, the founder is named a guy by the name of Titch Smith just looked at some orphans and just had a dream stir in his heart what if we could create a home for hundreds of these kids where they could grow up in Christ-centered environments where every one of these orphans could have a mom that really loves and cares for them, where every one of them could be part of a, a small little household that we create for them, where everyone could know that there is a Father in heaven who loves them. And I love the third part of his little slogan. It's like, and when the government asks why it works, we point them to the cross. We make sure that Jesus is at the center of everything we do. Just willing to dream and to start with a dream. What is it that you are dreaming about? And Maybe put this word in there. Never let the enemy kill your dream. Don't become so mature and so grown up that I don't dream anymore. We look at a scripture or two about that in a moment. But if I can be very naughty and, and paraphrase a little bit, but I don't think it's actually breaking down too much of the heart about it. David writes, and one of the Psalms, I think it's Psalm 145, and he says, I would have lost heart unless I had dreamed. I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land 
of the living is the wording that's used. But that for me sounds a little bit like a dream. Thinking of God is going to do something in this situation. Maybe very quickly, what are, if you just had to pick one right now, doesn't have to be the right answer, your favorite Bible story. Just in 30 seconds, turn to somebody and just in 30 seconds, just give them the highlights package of your favorite Bible story, the one that comes to mind first right now. Share it with one another. The 30-second version. So I'm not sure what your, your story is that you picked now. But there are a couple of commonalities most likely in, in most Bible stories. One of them is that the story that you chose is likely the story of a pretty ordinary person doing an extraordinary thing because of an extraordinary God. I think I've shared this in the past, but I, when I was working at, at the university, I had some Muslim colleagues and got into conversation with some of them and gave one of them a Bible to read. And they actually read it. And I know she read it because a couple of weeks later, we were having a conversation and she brought up the Bible and she mentioned how surprised she was that it wasn't a book of bullet point rules or something, but it was stories of people. What stood out to her was that our Bible, our scripture was to her just seemingly this these stories of, of people going about their lives. Obviously, we know it is the story of people going about their lives, but more than that, it's a story of God moving within people's lives. We could probably flesh out a bunch of other commonalities within the stories, but another one which we often miss is that most of the stories you picked now probably involved some form of risk. Maybe David and Goliath. There's some crazy risk involved throughout that story. Firstly, there's Saul, the king, who entrusts the whole nation of Israel to a teenager. And between you and me, that is the biggest miracle to me in the story of David and Goliath, is that Saul actually said, okay, David, teenage boy, you can go, and we're going to trust the fate of the nation of Israel to you. That's a miracle right there. That's risk. There's David stepping out to this giant, and the people say to him, you can't go and fight him. You are but a youth, and he's a man of war from the youth. And I can imagine David saying, but how am I going to be a man of war from my youth if I don't start now? And so he goes, and he starts to be a man of war from his youth. But there's risk involved. He's going up a big, against a big giant with a massive sword and a spear and all of those other things. Obviously, in his mind, it's not really a risk because he's going in the name of the Lord. But there's risk involved in a human sense. Esther, the great story of, of Queen Esther. My daughters went through a, a phase. Those who don't know, I've, I'm a, a girl dad. I've got three girls. So the other day, apparently, the Springboks were playing the All Blacks, and Darlington messages me and asks me, where am I watching, what, what? And I said, no, I'm sitting in the cinema watching 3D Little Mermaid, in 3D Nohal, watching it while the Springboks are playing against the All Blacks. That's my fate in life. Ask me a Barbie movie. I've watched it. I haven't watched the new one yet, though. 
trying to keep that. It's an expensive exercise taking a family of five to the movies nowadays, just by the way. Anyway, and so my girls went through this thing. They don't care which Bible story I read as long as it's got a girl in. No girl, no Bible story. Simple as that. Jezebel, it's an amazing story because there's a woman in it. Yes, she dies and gets eaten by the dogs. It doesn't matter. There's a woman in it. It goes. But Esther, here's the story. I don't know if you've thought about the story of Esther. That's a story filled with risk. Esther says, pray and fast for me for three days. Don't eat or drink anything because I'm going to go to the king because there's risk involved. And so as we go through every Old Testament story, every New Testament story, there's risk. And one of our challenges, one of the reasons I think we stop dreaming is because we stop willing to believe in risk and take risk. Even Peter and John at the gate, beautiful. They walk up to a guy and they, hey, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have, we give to you. Get up and walk. There's risk there. What happens if he doesn't get up and walk? There's risk involved in every one of these Bible stories that we have. And so I want to encourage us to embrace risk as we dream. The biggest reason why as we grow older in faith and we become more mature and less dreamers for the purpose of God is because we are less willing to take risk. I love the fact that most of us now are young and mostly single, even if we have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever. But, you know, it's different when the family comes and the kids come. We can pack our bags. And God said, I must move to India. Where are you going? I'm going to India. Why are you going to India? Didn't listen. God said, I must move to India. No, but seriously, no, I'm going. That's a lot harder when you've got a family and a bunch of kids. Okay, but how are we going to school them? Who's going to pay for all? Right now, risk is so easy. It's easy to just walk across the room, to walk across the corridor. It's easy to say, I'm going to go on a mission to Zambia for two weeks. Who's going to pay for it? I don't know yet. God's going to pay for it. How? I don't know. I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to put my faith up. As we grow older, we lose that willingness to risk. And so I said I will eventually get to Scripture. Judges chapter 2. We pick up the story here. What's just happened is the people of Israel have been in Egypt, slaves for about 400 years. They come out of slavery. Moses has led them out of slavery. God has parted the Red Sea. They've gone into the desert. For 40 years, they've dwelt in the wilderness. Now they've gone through the Jordan. The Jordan was parted. They went through the Jordan. The walls of Jericho has fallen down. And these people have now gone into the promised land that God's called them. Moses is no longer with them. Joshua is the leader. God isn't quite so happy with them because they didn't do everything he, to, that he told them to do. And so we pick up the story. So Joshua sent the people away. Each of the tribes to take possession, left to take possession of the land allotted to them. The Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him. Those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at age 110. They buried him in the land he had been allocated at Timnath-Serah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. And so what we read here is, we read there is a generation of people who knew God, who had memories. They remember when Jordan was parted. They remember when they walked around Jericho and the walls fell down. And what happened? Those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel, 
the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who were around at the time who outlived them. But watch verse 10. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things He had done for Israel. And so there's so much that we can learn from this passage. The first one is that most of us who've been following Jesus for four or five years, or we've, in a sense, experienced God in some way in our lives, those memories might be enough to sustain you in your walk with Christ for your life. You might be able to go through the rest of your life looking back with the memories that you have, remembering the moments that you had in the presence of God. Those moments we spoke about earlier, how when you were shaped and you were formed. But what's also true is your memories are not going to sustain the next generation. By the next generation, I don't necessarily mean those who are younger than you. I mean those who are coming to Christ after you. Those who you are leading, those who you are walking a road with, your memories cannot sustain their walk with Christ. They need their own memories. And so here comes this beautiful intersection of our dreams to become their memories. You see, the generation died. They grew up. They did not acknowledge the Lord. They didn't remember the mighty things that the Lord had done for Israel because they weren't part of it. And so as I was praying, and especially this, this morning and preparing for the service, I, I sensed the Lord wanting to invite us to partner with Him to say those moments that have shaped me. God, I'm going to help to create those moments for a next generation. Maybe you, who, got, who had a, a powerful moment at some worship night somewhere in your life somewhere? A couple of us. Can I tell you a little bit secret? Somebody carried speakers and sound equipment to make that evening possible. Somebody you might not even know. Maybe you'll never know who that was. But what if we lived our lives in such a way that I am going to create spaces for those coming after me to have the memories that I've got of God? Those moments, I want to help create the moments that created my memories. What if that becomes my dream a little bit? What if a part of my dream becomes a little bit, God, I want to I share that which I've got. Maybe I'm not the world's best musician. Maybe I'm not going to stand up and sing and play guitar. But Maybe I could just pray. Maybe there's a worship night coming at the Commons on the 12th of August. Maybe I can just pray for that. Maybe that can be my contribution. Maybe I can somehow take hands. Maybe God... I can begin to dream about that evening. Creating a memory for somebody else. See, we can go through our lives carried by our memories. We can allow God to create dreams in us about creating memories for others. See, there's a generation coming, there's a Somebody stepping into your small group. Someone stepping into your life. Somebody, maybe the person that you're inviting to your meal as we fast and, or feast and pray in this week. 
They're going to encounter Jesus in some way. You're going to share Jesus with them. And then my memories are not going to be enough to carry them. They need their own memories. So God, how can I create moments, facilitate moments, help in some way to step into the moments that shaped me so that those moments can shape them? I really believe God's holding an invitation out for us to partner with that in some way. To say, God, those moments that shaped me, I want to create those moments so that they can shape others. In Genesis chapter 15, we read a story of a man named Abram. He lives in a, a desert, and he's sort of going about his life. And sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, my household, my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and dream. Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. That sounds a little bit like dreaming to me. Going out and imagine just lying down. I can imagine Abram lying down looking up at the stars and saying, See that one? That one. He's called Moses. He's going to lead the people in, out of slavery and out of bondage. There's a star over there. That star is called David. He's going to be the best king this world has ever seen. Oh, look at that one, that star. I'm going to have a, a grandson. My son, 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 son. Somewhere down there. Look at him. His name's going to be Hezekiah. He's going to rebuild the temple. This God who I'm speaking to. Can you imagine Abraham just lying there and just dreaming through the night as he looks at the stars? He's not... Um, I really don't think he was a bean counter. I don't think he is like, okay, one, two, three, four, five, six. Jesus? 13 gazillion, 400 million, what, what, what? That's my number. I don't think it's like, it's like, God, stars, future, generations, dreaming. God invites him to dream, and I just have this idea, this sense in my spirit that God's wanting to invite us to dream again. See, when we're stepping into the purpose of God, can I just read the next verse there? Because it's quite important. We read in Scripture that Abraham was the father of our faith. We sing the song, Father Abraham with many sons, many sons and father. You know that thing? What made him Father Abraham? What made him this father of our faith? Because Abraham believed the Lord. He believed him in a moment of dreaming. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. He believed a word that was slightly inconvenient. He's 90-odd years old here. It's intimidating. It's inspiring. He holds on to the word of God. He says, okay, God, if that's what you're saying, then so I'm going to allow myself to dream about that. 
But God, you're actually going to give me children as vast as the sand on the beach or sand in the bottom of the ocean or something, whatever it is. In a later passage, he gives that. The stars, if you can count them, that's how many kids you're going to have. He's willing to dream. And I believe God's inviting us just to embrace godly dreaming again. Memories are great. We need memories. But let's not let our memories ever exceed our dreams. What is it that you are dreaming about? We want to pray for some of you in just a moment. Maybe some of us have lost the ability to dream. Maybe we've, we're just not dreamers. We, we can't. The moment we kind of, our, our mind starts going in there, some intellectual part of our faculty kicks in and says no. We start doing the sums and why it's impossible. I love that Jesus calls a guy called Philip over. Those of you who've got Bible names, maybe you'll associate kind of, you see yourself in that when he does that. And he calls Philip over and he says, feed these people. There's like 10,000 people, 5,000 men, not counting women and children. I can imagine Philip going, 10,000 people, not going to happen, Jesus. Bakery's already closed. Even if the bakery was open, you don't order 10,000 buns. Just, hey, can I just quickly get an order for 10,000 um, Happy meals. Thank you. Pick them up in 14 minutes. You know, that doesn't quite happen. I can imagine Jesus, in a sense, is saying, just dream. How are we going to feed these people? You feed them. And then Jesus gives them the bread and kind of that they get from the boy and the whole process. I think hopefully most of us know the story. But there's dreaming involved in that. There's imagination. There's looking beyond you see, if we want to walk in supernatural lives, we have to be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to take our imagination beyond the natural. Be willing to dream. Be willing to say, wow, I'm dreaming of the world filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. I was saying this morning, imagine if we dreamt about the world being more excited about Jesus than about, you know, going to a rugby match. Like when the Springboks win the World Cup. Everyone was like jumping up and down, going crazy. Imagine, and I mean, I love those moments. I'm, I'm there as well. I'm also jumping up and down, going crazy. But, but imagine if we're jumping up and down, going crazy like that, because there is someone who rose from the grave and defeated the power of death and washed all of our sin away. So every time I go to a, a sports stadium or something, kind of I'm vexed by that because I'm enjoying the moment, but I'm dreaming as well. Fortunately, by God's grace, He's given me the opportunity a couple of times to fill up stadiums and be part of the team. And kind of you can stand at the stadium and we're going to be doing it in February next year again, looking down over Loftus, packed with people on their knees worshiping Jesus. And then I can go watch the Blue Bulls and I can, yeah, I can worship those idols a little bit. But we really worship Jesus. That's actually why Loftus was built is to worship Jesus. Because as I said, every building is actually a church. What if we're willing to dream? What if we're more excited about, some of you may have seen Lionel Messi, first game for Inter Miami. Who saw that? I'm speaking to clueless people in the world here. Okay, we've got one guy who knows what's going. Lionel Messi is a soccer player. Apparently he's quite good. And he's scored a couple of goals in his lives. And he, he's just made this kind of, end of life, end of, not end of life, end of 
soccer life, end of career move to this country called the United States of America, who's also started playing soccer now. And there's a city called Miami there. And there's a, another old famous soccer player called David Beckham, who started a soccer team in Miami. And they called it Inter-Miami. And they bought Lionel Messi to come and play for them. And now it's the whole kind of American soccer fraternity is, ooh, Lionel Messi is amazing and he's great. And Lionel Messi plays his first game for Inter-Miami yesterday or whatever it was. And the score is one all. And it's the end of the match. Time is finished, but they get a free kick. And Lionel Messi steps up. And Lionel Messi kicks over the wall. The goalkeeper hardly moves, and Lionel Messi scores, and the whole planet goes crazy. Imagine if the world dreamed with me, if the world was excited about Jesus as those moments. Doesn't Habakkuk say that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord? We get filled with the knowledge of the glory of Lionel Messi or Ronaldo or whatever musical act did something crazy again. But imagine if we were to dream about a world filled with the knowledge of Jesus. I want to invite you into a dream with me. Pray with me. Let's dream this dream. Perhaps even together, this world isn't the world's biggest building. I think every single building should be filled with people worshiping Jesus. But this building that has been entrusted to us for this time, don't you want to dream with me? Imagine if by the end of this year, this building is too small to hold the number of people who want to come and worship Jesus. Lift Him up and allow His Word to shape and form. Allow that dream to settle in our hearts to every time we come here to say, God, I want to see this building filled with the knowledge of the glory of Jesus. To see people standing outside, and it will be summer by the end of the year so we can do this. Standing outside, having to kind of open up onto the streets because the building isn't big enough, because we're dreaming, because people are coming to Jesus. This campus across the road, 50,000 students. Imagine if 50,000 students at the campus decided to follow Jesus. Imagine if you go to your work and you begin to dream about what would it look like if Jesus came and filled my workplace. What would it look like? I'm going to begin to dream. I'm going to begin to let that little seed of hope find root within me. I want to dream about the kingdom being established. Can we stand this evening? I want to pray with us and for us, and I want to pray that the Holy Spirit will give us grace to dream. And I sense for some of us tonight, the Holy Spirit is coming into your life, and He's like God coming to Abram. And He's saying, Abram, just step out a little bit from under the tent, look up, and dream. Are you willing to begin to dream Again, for the name of Jesus. Can we bow our heads? I'd love to pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you tonight that your spirit is among us and with us, that you promised that you would never leave us nor forsake us, Lord Jesus. That your promise is you are with us even to the end of the age. And so as we're here tonight, that Holy Spirit, you are hovering over every one of our hearts, Lord. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would not only release dreams, but you would release capacity to dream over us, Lord. 
Would you invite us into godly dreams? Would you give us grace tonight to, like Abram, Lord Jesus, look up at the stars and dream? To, like David, to say, I would have lost heart unless I had begun to dream. A dream of the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so, Lord, as we look at our commune, as we look at our family, as we look at our career, as we look at our workplace, Lord, we just want to begin to dream again. Dreams of what it looks like, Jesus, when you step in. Dream of souls calling on the name of Jesus. Dreams of healing and restoration. Dreams of relationships being put back together. Dreams of hearts being softened, Lord. Holy Spirit, allow us tonight to dream. In the same way, God, I pray for everyone here who has had dreams from you and for some reason the dreams have fallen by the wayside, Lord, and the dreams have been killed through hurt and disappointment and disillusionment, Lord. How the enemy has come, Jesus, to just steal dreams from us. And that, Jesus, you would bring healing over those dreams again, Lord. Allow us to dream for your name's sake. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria. Pretoria.